Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. John chapter 4. We're going to talk today about being thirsty for God. I'll start at uh, verse 1 and I'm going to read down to verse 15. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, that would be John the Baptist, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, says John the Apostle, who was there, He left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Notice the word had. It's in the Greek. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. So his disciples, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings, says John to us, uh, because there's obviously Greek readers and non-Jews reading this. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Would you say living water? She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all this way to draw, go all the way here to draw. After a very dramatic confrontation with the temple leaders in Jerusalem, Jesus left the city and moved his ministry to the towns and villages scattered throughout the Judean countryside. There he preached and undoubtedly healed and delivered people from spiritual oppression. His disciples also baptized the people. Judging from the clues John gives us, Jesus apparently remained in Judea for about eight months. But at, that, at some point, a warning arrived that the Pharisees, who already shared with the temple leadership a hatred for Jesus, you, you recall he had, he had done the, the, the casting out um, of the oxen and the sheep and the doves and the sellers and the coin changers out of the temple. That had really done it. They shared a a hatred for Jesus, had discovered where he was and what was happening. John says they knew that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John the Baptist, which meant Jesus was now in great danger. 
Normally, the Pharisees despised the temple leaders in Jerusalem for good reason. But they were also practical enough to partner with them when they needed their political power to punish some offender. So when this report reached Jesus, he took it as a warning that he would soon be arrested. But it was far too early in his ministry to allow that to happen. His disciples needed much more teaching and training. And there were many who had not yet been saved, healed, or delivered. So he immediately left Judea and headed back to Galilee by the shortest possible route, straight through Samaria. You see the picture? We really, this is actually a dangerous moment. The report comes back, they know where you are, and they know what you're doing. Uh, the, the, and the Pharisees are colluding with the, with the, 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 the temple leadership there in Jerusalem, uh, who wants, wants him dead. Uh, so the minute that word comes back, they know where you are, they know what you're doing, he leaves. And it says he had to go through Samaria. I think he's not, a, a, well, he's not opposed to it at all. But the route often was around Samaria. He's going straight through it. And that, so that's where we are on this journey. On the way, he stopped to rest at Jacob's well outside the city of Sychar. Sychar is, is today, it's Nablus. Um, this, 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 the city is located right between two very famous mountains in Israel's history, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. You remember those? Uh, this is where, uh, when Israel uh, came in with the Exodus and they conquered the land, they had a covenant uh, ceremony in which they, they called upon themselves, uh, they surrendered themselves to the covenant of God. And you remember they made an altar and they wrote on it with, with plaster, uh, they wrote uh, the curses on one mountain and the uh, blessings on the other. And the whole nation, I mean millions of people, went up the sides of these mountains. Can you imagine this? I mean, talk about a Super Bowl game. I mean, you've, you've got this massive audience. You've got these people going up both sides because it just it's like a U like this. You've got the two mountains. They're about 27, one's 2,700 feet and the other's like 3,400 feet. Anyway, and they just swoop together and they go up. So you've got these millions of people spread up this mountain. <laughs> and then they have this, these, this altar thing and then the one side recites the blessings. Blessed are those and blessed and this and bless. they read the blessings. And the other side is the curses. I would rather have been on the blessing side. It'd been more fun, but yeah. But they, they're this great massive thing. So that's, that's the very place where he is. And he comes to this well. There's, there's Jacob's well there. I'll say a little more about that in a minute. The well which is still there today is located about 35 miles north of Jerusalem. John even tells us the time of day they arrived. He said it was about the sixth hour, which means it was either six in the morning by, the Rome, if by Roman calculation or noon by Jewish time. Whichever time it was, Jesus had walked a long distance and was physically exhausted. His disciples had gone into the city to buy food, so he sat there alone by the well until a woman walked up with a bucket and a rope. The well is over a hundred feet deep. When Mary and I, in 1970, we actually were part of a school program that went, was studying and traveling, and we went to Israel for five days. This was 1970. Looked very different than it does now, by the way. And politics were different, and so we actually went and we saw this well. We went up to this, this area, which is now in the West Bank. It's, it's right by the, actually the capital of the PLO and the whole thing. But it's, uh, it's, it's right there. And you take a drive just a bit to the east, 
And there it is. It's about three meters, so they say, wide. And it's 100 to 135 feet deep. Uh, one of the things they challenged us to do is said, drop a pebble in it. So, you know, we come and you kind of lean over this thing and, and you drop. You can't see the bottom. So you just drop and then you listen and you listen. And finally you think, must have hit the side or something, you know. I don't think it's going to. And then finally there's a little, wow. It's really deep. It's dug right through the, right through the bedrock. I mean, I, I, those ancient guys... How they did this without iron tools? How do you dig these things? Isaac dug a lot of wells. Jacob dug this one. And it's still there, and it's still giving water. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. So he's come, and he's, he's exhausted. Either it's, either it's noon or first thing in the morning. If it's, if it's first thing in the morning, it means he walked all night. Uh, if it's noon, it's the heat of the day. And it says the, uh, the well is over 100 feet deep. Jesus asked her to give him a drink, which surprised her because a Jewish man would not normally want a drink from a vessel used by a Samaritan because by that point in history, this, is not come, this does not come out of the Bible. This is religious accretions. This is, this is stuff they built up over time. At that point in history, the Jews thought they would be ceremonially unclean if they even touched a Gentile, uh, a non-Jew let alone ate or drank from the same utensils. Now let's read. Jesus answered and said to her, and this is the literal, my translation, if you had seen the gift of God in the scripture, and who is the one saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where then do you have the living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank of it himself, and also his sons and his cattle, are you? Jesus answered and said to her, All those drinking from this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks from the water which I will give him will not, and the Greek is double negative, will not not, will never be thirsty again unto the messianic age. But the water which I will give him will become in him. And then he uses, we've got two words being used here. One for a well, which is just kind of a hole in the ground that, that has rainwater and all. And the other is a fountain, an artesian well, uh, the, the kind that springs up. This is what he uses here. But, I, the, but the water I give him will become in, in him a well, spring, a fountain of water. And then he says, leaping up to eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not thirst nor keep coming here to draw. We have here an encounter between two thirsty people. One for water, that would be Jesus, and the other for living water. Life without God is dry. We feel empty, lonely, exposed, and without purpose. As life progresses, it disappoints. The pleasures it promises don't fulfill. Our achievements are quickly forgotten. And we can't escape the daily march toward the end. Those realities confront everyone sooner or later. And then we become thirsty. You can't get away from this inner thirst. It won't go away. There's something inside you long 
to be with him. This is true all over the world. The world is not getting less religious. It's getting more religious. There's just pockets of idiots that don't know what to do. And we're one of them. The, the, the whole world is turning to this. And you say, why would they do this? Why would they do this? Look at all they have. Look at all the stuff. Why isn't that enough for them? Why isn't stuff enough? It never will be. It isn't for you either. It isn't for the movie star who gets millions of dollars and adoration from, 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 from millions of people, is it? They always end up on drugs. Because they're lonely and miserable. And it's all turned to ashes. People are thirsty for God. And that thirst won't go away. In fact, I would add, even children are thirsty for God. Have you noticed? There is a phenomenon. You don't have to teach children about God. They will begin to ask. It is instinctive all over the planet. Children will begin to inquire about God. They'll begin to ask these questions. They're awakening spiritually. I remember mine, for me, it was, I was eight years old. And I, I don't know why. Because I wasn't raised in a, in a Christian home. I was, I, I, I just began, I, I said, I want a Bible for my birthday. Why? I don't know. Just do. Okay. And I've got the Bible on my, on my shelf right now. Happy birthday, Stevie. You know, and I won't tell you the date. <laughs> and, and I said, how do you pray? She didn't know. I mean, but she's given it a shot. She says, well, I think what you do. She says, you close your eyes. And she said, you wait till you see a light. And then you talk to it. Okay. So I got down by my bed. I said, you know, you got to stay focused on that light, you know. And there's the light. Okay, talk to it real quick. Oh, there went the light. Now I go back. There's the light. So I'm talking to the light. Now, that's pathetic. But it also is illustrating something, isn't it? And do you think God is watching this? He's watching a little boy longing to talk to him. And I think that's part of the process. He was already drawing. I, no one told me I ought to do this. No one said, you know, was trying to put this in me. I grew hungry, as do you, as do your children, as do the children all over the world grow hungry to be with God. We, we ask ourselves, is this all there is? Why can't I find peace inside? And the woman who came out to draw water that day had already become disappointed in life. She lived hard and rebelliously, determined to find fulfillment, even if she had to break the rules. How, how do I know that? Five husbands and she was shacking up with somebody at the moment. But it hadn't worked. And she knew the religious traditions. She immediately engages him in theological dialogue. But she was still thirsty for, for God. And she didn't know where to find him. This was what Jesus perceived when he saw her. Which is why after asking for a drink of water, he went straight for her heart. He told her that there was a way to quench the emptiness inside. It was possible for God's spirit to live within her. First of all, do you notice the interruptibility of Jesus? He's exhausted. He's sitting by the well waiting for lunch. 
and this woman comes up, you know, all of the natural impulses is just smile and don't say anything. But he looks up, and of course, he's got that prophetic eye. <laughs> he's reading her, and he just knows exactly what he sees. Here's a thirsty woman. Somebody, somebody made a comment. You would have thought that Jesus would have talked to Nicodemus about the Holy Spirit. And he would have talked to this woman by the well about being born from above. But notice it's just the opposite. He talks to this religious leader and says, basically, you ain't saved. And he talks to this woman who's, who's living hard and rebelliously, saying, woman, you need the Holy Ghost. Isn't that interesting? Notice he knows right where to go in a person's life. So out she comes. He's, he reads what's in her heart. She's a thirsty woman. That's why he's talking to her. He, he told her that there was a way to quench the emptiness inside. It was possible for God's spirit to live within her. Go with me to those two verses I list there. John 1, Just a moment. Just have a glance at them. I want you to, to appreciate how, how much John the Baptist talked about the Holy Spirit as something the Messiah would bring. Uh, this was, not only was he, it wasn't just about saving. He did call him the Lamb of God, though that was a little bit of a stretch for John the Baptist. Jesus had taught him that, I'm sure. But for John the Baptist, the, the Messiah would come and he'd bring judgment to, and wrath to those who were rebellious. But the gift he brought to the righteous would be the presence of God. That's the great gift. He would look at it says here in John 1 uh, verse 33. I did not recognize him, says John. He says, I saw the spirit descending as a dove. I didn't recognize him. In other words, I didn't know he was the Messiah. Uh, from my eye, but he who sent me to baptize in water said, if you watch, you'll see the spirit descend on someone and who, well, the one person it, it is, that's the Messiah. This is the one who, what? Baptizes in the Holy Spirit. That's the thing. Now go over to, to three, verse 34. This was John talking to his, explaining to his disciples why Jesus must increase and he must decrease. And here's this, this great comedy makes, comment he makes about him. Verse 34, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The one who's coming will give us the presence of God. One of the main points John the Baptist regularly proclaimed about the coming Messiah was that he would bring with him the promised baptism in the Holy Spirit. He said, when the Messiah arrived, he would, we would no longer be dry and thirsty for God. We would be immersed into and filled up with his glorious presence. That, that word baptism, that's what it means. You plunge something into something and then it saturates and fills the thing. So you and I, by the Messiah, will be plunged into the Spirit and filled with the Spirit. Amen. Immersed into and filled up with. His glorious presence. For centuries, the prophets had promised that a day would come when we would enjoy unlimited access to God himself, which is the greatest delight any human can experience. David described his own thirst for God this way. Read this with me, if you would. As the deer pants for the water, Brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. 
my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I appear before God? The, uh, in Israel, we always go to En Gedi, uh, and it means the, the spring of the goats. And there are still these, these goats. Now, they look like our goats. They look like they're tawny color. They look like our deer. Uh, and they're beautiful, large animal. Um, and they climb up and down these hillsides and all. But it's very hot. I mean, I've been there when it's 120 degrees. Oh, yeah. And that was quite the trip. And uh, so it, you, you can get this tremendous heat. And you can see the animals uh, heat-stressed. And their mouths <sighs> panting like that. And David, who, who was out in the desert so much, you know, hiding and just and living as a shepherd, had so often watched this phenomenon of these animals panting like that. We, we've seen ibex. Those are those ones with the great, oh, you know, those horns like that. Oh, they're gorgeous things. I've watched them all when there when was a rainstorm that had come, the water was coming down the Kidron uh, River right into the Dead Sea, by the way. And, and they're, they're, they're all there gathered. It's a beautiful sight uh, out, of the, out of the desert, gathered drinking because there's water. There's water. David says, I feel like that. I feel like that deer panting, dry, thirsty, parched. God, I long for you. I long for you. When will I be? In your presence. Isn't that beautiful? You hear the heart of a man who's, who, who loved the Lord. The quenching of this thirst was what Jesus was offering to this woman. And through her example to all who would believe in him. We must not miss the radical nature of what Jesus did. He offered the baptism in the Holy Spirit to someone who didn't fit any of the proper categories. She was a Samaritan, a woman, and shall we say, relationally dysfunctional. In other words, he offers the spirit without measure to anyone, regardless of their personal history, if they will believe in him. Did you see it? If you knew who asked, who was speaking to you, you would have asked him and he would have given you. You with five husbands and whoever you're living with now. You, with that history, a Samaritan with your confused religion, you got nothing going for you. If you asked me, I'd baptize you in the Holy I'd see that you got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'd be the one. Isn't that beautiful? In other words, this is for all of us. And it's a wonderful moment. He is showing, if I will believe in him, then I will be given this spirit without measure. In other words, he offers, the, I'll say it again, the spirit without measure to anyone, regardless of their personal history, if they will believe in him. How often I've had people say, oh, I don't deserve this, or, or I've had a bad history. So what? Do you believe in him? You know, the, 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 the promise of the new covenant is this. He says, um, Basically, I will fill them with the Spirit. I'll write my law in your heart. I'll come inside you. And here's, he then explains why he can do that. He says, for I, their iniquity, I will forgive. And their sin, I will remember no more. I will wash you clean. And I will fill you with the Spirit of God. 
Go with me, if you would, to John 7. I want you to see these verses, and then I'll explain them. John 7, 37. Now, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, notice he's saying, what I'm promising is what the prophet said would happen. From his innermost being, uh, the word in the Greek is koilia. I've said this numerous times, but it, koilia, like, and you recognize coil, like the coils of a rope, your inner bowels, that's why the King James will translate bowels of compassion and stuff. It's literally what it says. They're not being weird. Um, but we don't like to translate that. It's not a, not a good image. Um, but you realize your bowels are just like a coil of a rope inside. So he's, he's very specific, very graphic. Out of here will flow rivers of living water. Out of your very center of your body, out of you. You become a living temple. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. So he says, from your, that's what they're translating in mine as innermost being. From your koilea will flow rivers of living water. And then John adds, but this he spoke of the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let's look at the comments now. This conversation beside Jacob's well probably took place in late December or January. And Jesus was on his way to Galilee. But on occasion, he would return to Jerusalem during the religious holidays. That fall, he attended the Feast of Booths, tabernacles you might call it, which was designed to remember the exodus from Egypt. And it included a daily ceremony in which water was carried from the pool of Siloam and poured out by the altar of burnt offering. During this, it's, a, it's, a, it's eight days long actually, and you build these booths out of, out of uh, branches and leaves and all of that. And the family camps out in these things uh, during this time. What are you remembering? The Exodus. When we were wandering in the wilderness and we were living in makeshift huts and tents, you're remembering this was our history. We were, this was ours. One of the things that, that will happen during this time is that the priest each day of seven days... Not the last day, but on, on seven days, the priest will go down to the pool of, pool of Siloam. It's right there below the city of David. When we go to, forgive me for keep saying this, but it's still there. They found this thing. Five steps down, five steps, just like it says later on in the Gospel of John. That pool's still there. We know where exactly where it is. They would take the water and they would bring it up to the, uh, to the, to the temple. And there by that great, huge altar of burnt offering where the, where, the, where the the lambs and all of this was being offered before the Lord. They pour that water out before the Lord each of seven days. Why do they do that? This was, act was a symbolic prayer for rain at the end of the long dry summer. The people and the land were growing thirsty. It was on the last day of that eighth day, eight day ceremony that Jesus stood among the crowd and gathered in the temple and cried out. It's quite the step of faith. It's, it's like, in a sense, it's like tithing. You know, you say, I don't have enough money and then I give, I give to the Lord. That's crazy. 
unless, of course, I trust he will provide for me. And what they're doing is they're saying, they're at the end of this dry summer season. The cisterns are, we, are, are way down. The water's green by now, uh, what you have. The land is brown. You've been through 120 degrees or whatever it's, through some of the summer and this kind of thing. You're dry, you're thirsty, you're tired, you're hot, you're miserable. And so you take what little water you do have and you pour it out before the Lord saying, we so trust you to provide water for us that we pour out what we have. Isn't that powerful? Yeah, seven days. They're pouring out the water going, God, you're going to provide for us. You're going to provide for us. You'll provide water for us. And then in the middle of this, on the last day, when they don't do that, everybody's gathered. This is the holy day. They gather in the temple. Jesus stands up and look what he says. He cried out, loud voice. Everybody's like, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. The apostle John then added this explanation so we would understand what he meant. But this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. In other words, Jesus was offering to them the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which John said did not arrive until Jesus was resurrected and ascended into heaven. That's what it means glorified. He's resurrected into his glorious body. He ascends into heaven. He takes his seat at the right hand of the Father. And from there, he pours out the Spirit. What, when did that arrive? When did, when, when did that start? Day of Pentecost. There's no mystery here, is it? He's not simply, this is not some vague thing about getting a little bit of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, I will give you the Baptism, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. From that time forward, from the day of Pentecost, this, pardon me, I think I missed that three. After that, people began to receive this baptism, starting at the day of Pentecost. From that time forward, it has been available to all who believe, including children. Why can I say that? Listen to this. Listen to Peter's sermon on that very day when it arrived. He says this. He says, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Hear that? For the promise, this promise of the Old Testament, this promise that he'll come and dwell within us, Ezekiel uh, 36, Jeremiah 31, etc. This promise is for you. And notice the next line, and your children. And for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Is there a way he could have said it more clearly? Could he have chosen any words saying what's just happened to us is available to every believer as long as they believe in Christ until he comes again? He said it as clearly as language will allow. Receiving this promise, you'll notice that when Jesus offers the spirit, he says we must come to him and drink. That means we have a part to play in receiving this gift. In most cases, we can't be passive 
I say most cases because sometimes it it just is what it is. We must reach out and take hold of what he offers. And as we listen to him, he clearly states that the gift is given to all who believe in him. Did you hear that? There are no exceptions. But as we know, it's possible to be given a gift, but not open it. And the problem is many people have been assured that they are given the Holy Spirit when they receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, and they are. But in some cases, those who are ministering to them do not know how to help them actually receive what has been given. This is a pastoral issue. We got to be really careful. There's been this old argument like, you know, some people getting a second gift and of, of the thing, and there's all of this kind of thing. My foot. When you receive Christ, you get the whole thing. You get everything. Everything. When you have Christ, you have it all. He is it all. (laughs) He brings with him everything. So when he's with you, you have everything. But we all understand, do we not, that you can have someone hand you a present and you have yet to open the bow and take it. So it is a matter of, of, of a process of you and I because this is not meant to be just theology. This is an encounter When he turns to us and says, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. He's not talking about you're going to have a better Bible study. I mean, it will certainly translate into better Bible study, but that's not the point. He's saying, I will come to you and you will know it. You will know it. That power, that resource. Rivers mean you can't can't drink a river. You'll never exhaust a river. You have an unlimited, infinite supply of the presence of God in every moment and in every need. Dwelling within you, is what he says. Now, it becomes a matter of helping people receive that, what's already been given to them, what is already theirs. So the person is left with a promise, not an encounter. When they're they're told these things, and not ministered to, they're, they're still thirsty. When a person actually receives this living water, when there is within them a well springing up, they know it. It's an actual fact which they experience. The inability of some to minister this blessing can even be seen in the book of Acts. Philip, the evangelist, not the apostle, preached, it to, to, preached to many in Samaria, but for some reason he was not able to help them receive this gift. Peter and John had to come from Jerusalem to minister to Philip's converts, and then they received Helping people receive this gift requires faith. It requires sensitivity to the needs of people. You cannot formulaically process people. You cannot, you know, run down a line and zap everybody. And humility. Because not everyone receives right away. And if we take that as a personal failure, or grow defensive and feel the need to blame someone, we'll soon stop trying and wound people in the process. I minister to people quite, quite often, have been lately. People will say, Pastor, would you help me? Would you pray with me? And I'll just say, yeah, let's make a little bit of appointment. And, 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 I, and I sit down with them. And yes, it, there are young people, but I'm often dealing with people who've been Christians for decades. I, I prayed for someone uh, just last week, 81 years old. I prayed for someone a couple of weeks before that in their 70s. People who love the Lord, people who have the Lord, people who are fine Christians. You following me? 
This is not a critique. This is a pastoral matter, matter of helping them step into something that's been theirs all along. I'm not, and so we, I'll sit down with, with people and I, I'm thinking of, the, of, the, of, of a man who I prayed for a few weeks ago. And uh, I, he said, I, I really want this. And I said, well, let's, let's pray. And, and we, we prayed for him. And, and at that point, I will often talk to them, and I'll say this in a minute. I'll talk to them about stepping out and giving their tongue. I know that this is the controversial. This is the painful part. This is the awkward part. It's the part a lot of us would say, can I just avoid that? But I will tell you this, my observation now, and and I've been doing this a long time. My observation is many lovely Christians, until they are willing to surrender everything, including their tongue, it does not seem to release. So I prayed for this man the other day and just said now, all I'm asking you is it, it is not some compulsive thing. It's not like automatic handwriting where God sort of takes over you and you blah. He said, it's not that. I always have to say that because people, we have weird ideas, don't we? You know, what this will be. It isn't that. It isn't that. The Holy Spirit gives you words. You don't know how that happens, but you speak them. It isn't a compulsive thing. So I said, now you'll need to speak out. And I said, I'll, I'll just pray in the spirit a bit. So I'm, 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 I'm with you, covering you. I'm not evaluating you. I'm criticizing you just, but you do have to make some kind of sound. So you try, blah, you know, and you get something out. So I'm praying with him and he's just stepping like that. And nothing came, but boy, the sweet spirit was there and his heart was so surrendered. It was lovely. So over the next couple of weeks, he would come up and I'd say, how are you? And he says, I'm still seeking. Still, still you know, I said, okay. Lord's with you. No condemnation, notice. He's not second rate. He's not anything. This isn't about that. It's about helping a man step into something. Okay? Two weeks ago, he comes up to me. I, I didn't even have to ask. He, he looked for some, 10 years younger. I don't know what it was. He just, his, his skin, his body, his posture, the whole thing. He came up to me and he just said, I've received. And he was glowing. He was just lovely. I mentioned an 81-year-old. What a sweetheart. Chris, wonderful Christian. Sold out to Jesus. But she said, I, I pray, and it feels... I know he's listening to me, but I don't feel him. I, I, say what I, I pray what I should pray, and I read my Bible, and I'm doing these things, and I know he's with me. I know I'm saved. But she said, I, I don't sense him. And she, I, I said, well, same sort of thing. Let me... Let's pray. Let's ask. I said, it's already yours, you know. I'm not, we're not going to ask Jesus to give you this. You have it. We're going to help you receive what he, he gave you 60 years ago. <laughs> I didn't say that. Anyway. <laughs> I, I said, I'm just going to help you. And I talked to her a little bit. I pray with her. And finally, she, and she, step, she steps out and tries a little bit. And I said, do you, feel, do you sense anything? Because I sense the Lord very strongly. And she says, No. I said, well, that's fine. But I said, just wait on the Lord and, and, and he'll be with you. And then even as I'm saying that, she, said, she suddenly went, went, she said, oh, I'm getting warm. And then she said, oh, oh, I feel all glowy. <laughs> she starts radiating. I want you to know something. This is not psychological. It is not adrenaline. It's very real. People, it is real. 
There is a Holy Spirit and he's a person and he comes when he wants to. All we can do is just open up and be available to him. We all have our issues. The stuff that needs to get healed, by the way, I forgot to mention that. In the process, I'm, I, and, and as a pastor, I have to, I have to be aware of this. I'm say, she says, I, I can't seem to sense anything. And I had a word for her. I mean, the Lord, I said, Lord, what's the deal? He shows me something. I asked this question uh, and I was right on target. I, and and we, we, just, we just addressed it briefly. And then I went back to praying and that's when all of a sudden, whoa, I feel warm. <laughs> we, we'd simply gotten obstacles out of the way. So much of all of this has to do with, with simply pastoral care of the person. It's not a formula. It's, they don't cram somebody into this thing. You don't zap them because you're so holy. You help, I mean, really, you, you help people drink. And then to see, to see her just glowing and her eyes sparkling and to know she has that sense of it close. I've had some of you, I don't know which, which service, I can look around a little bit. I've prayed to a number. Anyway, and you've said to me, a couple of you in the past year who are, have been fine Christians, wonderful contributors to the life of this church, come to me and say, as you've stepped into this, you've, you've struggled for years, you've stepped into it, and, the, and, the, and that presence, that baptism comes, and you've said to me, I never said this to anyone, but I always questioned whether I was really saved. I always worried about it. Was I really saved? And now, that doubt is gone. I, did, I wouldn't have put that together. Isn't that amazing? What is it? It's that inner assurance. We know he's there. All right, I'm, we're going to move along. The longer I minister, the more evident is becoming that for many to be released in this gift, the tongue must be surrendered to the spirit. I know this is the step that frightens so many, but over and over again, it's after I encourage someone to speak out and trust the spirit to form a language, the presence of God will move on that person and the living water becomes evident to them and me. It's after they've become free to worship in the spirit that people come back and report a new spiritual breakthrough. They beam and there is a new tenderness to God. They even look younger. The message has come home to their heart. He loves me. He's with me. He dwells within me. Longtime Christians have said to me, this is what I've been looking for all my life. And this was what Jesus offered a thirsty Samaritan woman. While teaching his disciples about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, Jesus said this. Would you, would you read this with me? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. The peace Jesus offers is not the absence of strife. In fact, he warns of just the opposite. The peace he offers is not the assurance that this world will grow into a better place. In fact, he describes just the opposite. The peace he offers is himself. He says he will be with us always, even to the end of the age. That is not meant to be a vague theological truth. He's, he, he is offering a tangible fact. No matter what situations we may face. He and the father by the spirit will be with us and within us. Not in small measure. But like an artesian well springing up inside. 
To thirsty people, he offers the presence of God like rivers of living water. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.